You're listening to Spaghetti and Freddy, a podcast hosted by Cablasto and Yoli, in which we discuss both spaghetti westerns and the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. This is episode nine, and this week we're discussing The Great Silence from 1968, directed by Sergio Corbucci. So before we get into the movie, I, I want to j- just jump right in. But uh, how have you been? Doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty well. Doing yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I just did some house stuff, ran some errands. Um, I've been watching a lot of things. Was it Neon Maniacs? Because Van Spider are doing that. Right. Uh, and then I, from there, that's on YouTube. And from there, Popcorn is on YouTube, which I've never seen. I've never seen that one either, but I want to. That's on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I watched it on YouTube and good quality. And nice. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I knew nothing about it. I'd seen the poster. I knew that it got a more recent release and a lot of people were excited. Sort of a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Knew nothing about it. I'm still not really going to reveal much. Just because Oh, yeah. No, it, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But... I thought it was fun. I get why it's a cult classic. I'll say that much. And I would recommend watching it. Yeah. Um, but what about you? What have you been watching lately, if anything? Yeah. Um, so not to get too ahead of ourselves with the episode today, but I do want to mention that I watched um, a documentary called Western, comma, Italian mm. Style. Mm. Yeah. It was actually one of the extras on the Great Silence Blu-ray that I picked up. Okay. Yeah, um, but it's cool. It's from it was okay. So it was filmed in 1968. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's like a little I think 40 minute featurette mm-hmm. about the spaghetti western genre. Um, you know, in Italy, in Europe at the time. So you know, again, late 60s. This was filmed, so it was kind of the height of um the popularity sure. of the spaghetti western. You know, Sergio Leone I think had the Dollars trilogy out at this point. Um, and then you know other other directors were also starting to churn out the spaghetti westerns because they were just doing so well in Europe. But basically, mm-hmm. in this documentary, it interviews um a couple different filmmakers, um including Sergio Corbucci mm-hmm. on the set for The Great Silence, which is probably why it was included on the disc. And it also Except... had a, a yeah a brief interview with um, the guy that played uh, Silence. I'm going to try not to butcher his name. Jean-Louis Trintig- 
Gant? I don't know. I can't say his last name. Something French. He's French. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, like on the set, you know, as they were filming, because he was shooting, you know, in, ni- in 1968 or whatever. And it also had uh, a couple of interviews with Enzo Castellari, which we're going to be watching in one of his films um, coming up in a week or two. Okay. And uh, the other Sergio, because, um, you mm-hmm. know, we've got Sergio Leone and Sergio Corbucci, and then there's also Sergio oh. Solima. Oh, I didn't know. There was yeah, the third one. The third, yeah. Hmm. Um, so yeah, at the time, you know, I think Sergio Solima was uh, making a film called Run Man Run. There's also a really brief thing too with Sergio Leone, who was filming Once Upon a Time in the West, and um, he was having this like huge, like old timey train, like brought into this area where they were gonna shoot, um, and it was like gonna be running on like a track that he built himself. But it was just like it just happened to be, you know around 1967, 1968 or whatever, like these three or four directors were just working on their various movies. You know, for Corbucci, it was uh, The Great Silence. Um, For Enzo Castellari, it was Kill Them All and Come Back Alone. For Hmm. Sergio Salima, it was that Run Man Run movie. Um, So yeah, just this documentary guy went around, um, just whoever was filming at the time, like, oh, what are you working on? And, you know, I think it showed Sergio Salima, like he was editing something and he's like, yeah, I'm just doing blah, blah, blah. But it was just like literally on set or, you know, at the time, depending on what they were doing, making these movies. So it's just like almost like a time capsule kind of thing. That's really neat. It was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of cool, random little doco. (laughs) That's neat. It's really cool. Yeah. I, I also haven't seen any interviews with Corbucci. And after seeing a few of his films now, I'm curious about him as a person. So. Yeah. Yeah, I have some interesting uh, little quotables from him, but we'll get to that a little later when we get into Okay. You know, we should probably talk, discuss the movie first a bit before getting into the behind the, not behind yeah. the scenes, but, you know, so the more in-depth uh, yeah. chit chat about it but i did just want to mention mention the documentary because i thought it was pretty cool that's, yeah that's cool i'll track that down i will just say real quick i was looking while you're talking mm-hmm. once about a time in the west one of the things that really interests me is one of the st- the first accredited story writer is dario argento mm, that is interesting so, the dario argento. yeah that is very so, interesting yeah along with bernardo Bertolucci and then sergio leone himself so an interesting cat cast too yeah so okay we let's let's get into it (laughs) let's get into it because i've got a lot to say and i thought i wouldn't i sometimes i feel like the less notes i have the more i have to say so (laughs) do you uh you want to give us a synopsis yeah let's see The Great Silence. Our story takes place in Utah. It is 1898, just prior to the Great Blizzard of 1899, an event of extreme winter weather which affected most of the United States. The snow is severe and the food is scarce. Many of the local inhabitants of a frontier town called Snow Hill have resorted to theft, out of necessity, to eat, to survive. A corrupt banker and justice of the peace, Polycut, takes advantage of the legality of bounty killers, and he places a price on the heads of all the townsfolk who have committed theft. He seeks to seize their properties for his own benefit after they are killed. A man named Loco leads a group of bounty killers, and their mission is to slay all the alleged outlaws of Snow Hill and collect the rewards. However, there is one man, a mute gunslinger known as Silence, who is willing to fight in the defense of these outlaws. And when Pauline, 
the widow of an outlaw who was killed by the bounty hunters, reaches out to Silence for help seeking revenge, Silence is more than willing to oblige. Okay, so you had ever seen this movie, correct? Yep, it was my first time, although okay. um, it was spoiled for me. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so how is this spoiled for you? Just it was kind of my reviews? It was kind of my own fault. Um, yeah, I, I watched this um, documentary. What was it? Oh, it was actually, it was something about, like, Quentin Tarantino and, like, how he okay. loves spaghetti westerns. And, yeah. Like, I think it was specifically, like, what Tarantino thought of Corbucci or something like that. And mm, it was, like, okay. um, you know, I was, you know, I love Compañeros and I was, like, all mm -hmm. pumped up on Corbucci and just spaghetti westerns in general. I was, like, yeah, I want to watch this, you know. Um, but they talk about, you know, other, other movies and they talk, you know, they were talking about The Great Silence and, mm -hmm. uh, should I just say it now? If anyone mm. hasn't seen this movie and yeah, is even just a, the, a tiny bit interested in seeing it or thinks they will ever see it, turn off this podcast and go watch the movie. Um, check your local library. It's on Canopy. It's on Hoopla with the library card. You can see it for free or, you know, rent it for three bucks, wh wh whatever. If you want to see it, go see it before you have it um, spoiled because it's, you know, it's is rough it when that happens. It's a movie that has a ending that people talk about. Yeah, ex that's exactly it. But basically, um, they were t they were talking about how like, oh yeah, the Great Silence. You know, it really like uh, subverted the genre by having you know the hero get killed and you know the bad guys win, which is you know usually in all the other westerns, usually the good guys win, or you know, or maybe mm -hmm. there's a gray area of good guy, quote unquote. But it was just basically yeah. like, oh yeah, your main hero gets killed. No one was expecting it, you know. And I'm like, oh okay, that happens. God, that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, no, I went in completely blind on this one, so I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. Yeah, so, and I think you, even one of the other commentaries, like I think in the commentary for the, because I didn't hear the whole commentary of the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, but I heard the first hour of it, or maybe mm -hmm. it was a few dollars more, but one of them recently that I was watching for the show, they, um, you know, they periodically might reference another movie, another Western, but it's, you know, mm -hmm. they're not usually, but it was the same type of thing where they were just like this commentary for this, you know, other Sergio Leone movie that I was watching. And it, and it starts talking about Corbucci's The Great Silence where, you know, the hero gets killed and da da da. And I'm like, dude, oh my God. like that, you know, yeah. like the documentary thing, that's on me. But even just like watching a commentary for a totally different mm -hmm. movie, totally different director to have someone just reference that and just like yeah. casually blurt that out it's like come on <laughs> that sucks yeah yeah so okay my quick journey with this film was that i went into it and i don't know why but I, i'm i guess i especially since i've been watching a lot lately a lot of movies i'm generally tough um on them mm -hmm. so i went into this movie I don't know. I do this with all the Westerns, but I think I do this with all movies now. But basically not wanting to like it, wanting it to have to sell itself to me. Okay. <laughs> you get so quiet. Okay. No, okay. I'm just taking it in. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it took a while for it to sell itself to me. And I'm a, a real jerk when I watch movies, apparently, because I only because I think when I'm doing it for this, I'm taking note of what I'm thinking and mm -hmm. 
you know, and I'm basically like, oh, Klaus Kinski, you know, like I won't be swayed by him because I know him from other things and everything else. And then I'm, but whatever, uh, this isn't my overall review of the film, but the movie did get me pulled in. It did get me interested in it. And then when it got to the ending, it made me reflect in the entire production much differently. So I don't know why every time I'm like, do I like Westerns? Do I hate Westerns? <laughs> Which, and then I get to the end of it and I'm like, no, that was, that was a very unique movie. And I feel like we've been, I mean, you pick these movies, so you're the chef and you've prepared a seven course meal or, and it, Unfortunately, in, I'm a terrible cook. No, no, that's <laughs> the opposite. Oh, in real life? Okay. Uh, but you, you've prepared a seven-course meal, and it's an interesting... It's not like we're watching one movie after another where it's just the same thing over again. Um, it's sort of offering a a broad spectrum of the genre. A smorgasbord? Yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah, I don't feel like I'm at taco bell where it's the same well it's interesting because at first i thought i was at taco bell where it's the same <laughs> same ingredients with like just yeah. rearranged yeah i mean starting off with the dollars trilogy you know that's a lot of leone up front but sure it sure. felt like the right place to start but i will say corbucci which at first frustrated me which is silly and on me um but now i appreciate corbucci is not a one-trick pony. Between the three films, he, the three films I've seen of his so far, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I would be hard pressed to recognize them as Corbucci at this point. I think three is enough. Uh, I think I mentioned with two that it's not enough to draw patterns, mm-hmm. but with three, I think it's been enough that I can't say I can draw a pattern between. Companeros, Django, and this, mm-hmm. they're all so drastically different in every way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very diverse director. Companeros is so lighthearted. Yeah. And then this is so bleak. Yeah. Uh, it's incredibly bleak. And it does have humorous elements, which I didn't need. And they, I think they kind of annoyed me more than anything. Like, and I'm, are you talking about the, the sheriff? sheriff? I, liked, I liked the sheriff. I, th- I was kind of sad oh my when God. he uh, got his confidence. I, I thought he was such an idiot that he drove in us. And <laughs> he just, he was clueless. He he was like, uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. but um, That surprised me, at least. I was like, oh, the sheriff. <laughs> yeah. He, I don't know. He had one scene where he was had a, a few redeeming qualities but otherwise he was he screwed up everything really uh, he just uh okay so I feel like i'm getting ahead of myself what it's okay i think i kind of started it so <laughs> no yeah you're good you're good um what if we talk about the look of this film just to start we haven't said it yet yeah. but the snow like huge part yeah. of this movie yeah so obviously you think western you never ever think snow you think dry desert of course i think of tarantino which we mentioned in every episode and i'm fine with it but i think hateful eight which he clearly was inspired 
Yeah, I mean, he was very you heavily know? influenced by uh, Corbucci and was yeah. a fan of spaghetti westerns. So and it yeah, shows. The, <laughs> the snow is was you know very unexpected, um, and I thought maybe it would be a scene. I didn't expect the entire film to take place in the winter. And you did a great job with your synopsis. I knew nothing about the fact that historically this was you know before a blizzard and you know everything else i didn't even really catch that it was in utah until i was recapping before we recorded the episode right right well i was also kind of recapping and you know yeah to, to create my synopsis because i was sure. actually, I, I actually was dragging my feet and i was like oh god i have to write something like what am i going to say so i just kind of sat down and was like reviewing all my resources yeah, yeah. and i'm trying to piece something together no no i learned i think more Excellent. from your synopsis than actual <laughs> movie but uh but like I said, I also kind of had blinders on of like, oh, I like the last one, but I won't like this one, which is stupid because I, I generally want to like Corbucci. But yeah, it was a very different movie, uh, very bleak, <clears throat> very cold uh, mm -hmm. purposely. But, you know, white's a great contrast to red. So, yeah. And there was a lot of tones of like white and blue, like whether it was the sky or just other like elements in the scenery. It was this whole like white and blue visual feast. Like, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. really a beautiful film to look at, just like the landscape and all the blankets of snow on everything. It's just um, a lot for your eyes to kind of take in. Do you know where they actually filmed it? Yes. Um, so some of it was on a set, like the, mm -hmm. the duel at the end was actually on a set. Sure. Um, that was filmed in uh, that Almera, Spain area that a lot of these spaghetti westerns um, were filmed at, um, at least partially, usually when there's kind of an old timey western type town. Yep. Um, so when when they did film there, they did have to use um, like tons and tons of shaving cream to like reproduce the snowy cool. look for the for the on set stuff in that in that town. Wow. Yeah, but then um, when they when they were actually like what it looked like they were in the mountains and stuff, they were in this um, mountain range area, um, I believe was also in Spain. I'm trying to find it now. I was reading about this earlier and it had like the names of the places, but I might need to circle back to that. Okay. Okay, I think I found it. It's called the Italian Dolomites. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like a range of mountains, basically. Okay. I, I know. Or Dolomite Alps, so hence okay. the snow. Sure. Yeah. And that's in Italy. My bad. I think I said Spain before, which is where the, the set location was. Um, mm -hmm. I think yeah. The mountain was was in Italy. But okay, so what did you think of the look of the film? Of the look? Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was breathtaking. I I wrote down that it was a visual feast. Um, mm -hmm. But also, like, it was just very cool and different, too. Not even, I mean, partially as a Western, like you said, like, you're used to, like, the whole the desert and the dry plains and all that. So, in contrast, it's, like, very different. But even for, like, any movie, um, like, I've, I've never seen Dr. Zhivago, mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've heard, I mean, I'm aware of it. Um, I guess it takes place in the snow as well or something like that. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it either. Okay. So I don't know. But I, you know, I, I couldn't really think of any other movie where it was kind of like such a grandiose, snowy type of landscape. Um, so that was kind of cool and just kind of different, just in general, just as a film, even apart from being a spaghetti western. All I can think of is like one of the Bond films, and outside of that, like The Thing. But that's not really grandiose. It's set within just an establishment. Right, right, you know? right. There, no, no, that's a good example. Though, that at least yeah. there is like kind of a lot of snow and 
the movie. Yeah. But you're right, a lot of it's inside and stuff too. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> enough of this snow business. Uh, There's no business like snow business. I was just setting you up. So, <laughs> uh, Klaus Kinski uh, is a piece of crap. Apparently. Sorry, sorry, Apparently. sorry, not. Yeah, well, I don't know about the actor, but I mean, I've heard stories about him too. But the character, the character Loco? is, yeah, loco or is, tigrero if you watch the Italian version. Okay, what does that translate to? Same thing, crazy. I mean, my guess would be little tiger because it, it, you know, oh, okay. kind of sounds a little bit like Spanish. Sure, but wait, wait, I, I, but I don't, I don't know for sure. What 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 was the Italian version? The tigre? Tigrero? Tigrero? Oh, tigre. Okay. Okay. I think I'm probably making it sound Spanish, but it's an Italian word. Okay. Yeah. So, Loco, I was excited to that my three years of Spanish lessons paid off and I knew what that meant. Uh, but it means tiger yeah. in Italian. Sorry. I had to look Okay. It up. Okay. And then Loco means crazy. Yeah. Crazy tiger. Yeah. But yeah, it was just straight up Loco in the English dub, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Just making sure I didn't miss no, you're, you're the good, name of one of the main characters of the movie. Yeah, uh, so it. anyway, but yeah, he, you know, versus what we saw before of him being like a, a hunchback uh, character that was just like part of a goon squad. Yeah. He was, he, he was the head, well, one of the head the bad main guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he was ruthless. Yeah. So and despicable. Full-blooded. Yep. Um, How about that shawl thing that he wore over his head? Because you know they're in the cold, so they're all like layered yeah. up and everything. I can't count the amount of times where like I did a double take because I was like, why does he have dreadlocks in this movie? And it's like, wait, no, it's the shawl. But like, yeah. it kept looking like dreadlocks to me. Yeah, it's. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a look. It's a it's look. It's a look. Yeah. And, and Kinski is an interesting-looking dude as is. So. Just all things right. combined. Right. But uh, so silence definitely had that Clint Eastwood type vibe initially when you see him. Well, well that I whole mean, not talking thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they push it to the extreme. So uh, they reveal one scene basically that silence shows his throat to Pauline. Mm -hmm. uh, and before that, everyone just thinks he's like, you know, a rude dude with Tood. And then mm -hmm. he shows his throat to Pauline, and it's a there's a giant scar. She's yeah. like, "Oh, you're a mute," which he literally can't speak. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, which I'm just gonna jump all around. They reveal the, so you get to know the character. Well, you don't get to know him, but you're around the character some, and events unfold. And they do a flashback at one point to when he was a kid, and they show how he uh, lost his ability to speak. And that scene was one of the scenes that started to pull me in further to the movie, um, which you're going to have to help me in the details. I basically just remembered that his fa his family gets killed, his parents get killed, and then the person who killed them slit his vocal cords so he couldn't tell anyone because they were basically basically questioning what to do with this kid, whether to kill him or not. And instead, they're like, "Yeah, he can't, he won't tell anyone." So. And it was brutal, and that brutality of the film set a tone, which, oh, yeah. which 
you know, it was it was so much more brutal than anything else we had seen mm-hmm. on screen. Uh, that I think it started to win me over. Meaning, okay, I, I'm I'm getting that what type of a movie this is going to be more mm-hmm. so. And it's unique and it's different, which is kind of yeah. cool. I like Pauline a lot too. I thought yeah, she, was, she was great. She was fantastic for of the female characters we've seen in these westerns so far. I think she's one of my favorites in terms of while she was sort of a damsel in distress in the sense of she asked for silence's help, she seems, you know, kind of like a badass herself. Yeah, absolutely. She was kind of calling the shots or, you know, setting things on her own terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I liked her a lot and I would assume it was slightly controversial too, because she was, I believe mixed race and yeah, so yeah, the mixed relationship was definitely like kind of ahead of its time or, you know, subverting the current constructs of the time. Yeah. Cause this movie is 68. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that's still pretty, I I would assume pretty big. Well, in America, but I don't know how where the rest of the world was in terms of that. Right, right. But uh, but yeah, she hooks up with Silence. I was I was called him nameless. <laughs> <laughs> she she hooks up with uh, <laughs> with, with Silent Bob. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, her husband gets killed by yeah. the bounty hunters. You know, he was one of the outlaws, and she is pissed and she wants her revenge. So that's why she reaches out to. Um, silence for help and she's willing to pay him a fee she says i will you know name your price and i'll come up with the money um but she says yeah i want you to take out loco or you know loco and his crew or whatever it is and have some um justice or so he agrees to do this so here's a question this Mm -hmm. is i've basically contributed as much as i'm going to contribute now i'm going to ask you a million questions uh like i always do this is why i'm glad that you watch the same movie as i do so you can explain it to me so (laughs) The people who I talked about that his parents were killed. Is there any connection between the people that killed his parents and anyone else? Yes. All right. So the um, the corrupt banker slash justice mm-hmm. of the peace, this guy named Polycut, Henry Polycut. Mm-hmm. I guess in the flashback, it was him with two other like bounty killers. Okay. And and they murder. Um, silences parents and yet like you said to prevent him from talking then one of the killers slices the boy's throat but that polycut guy was there so there is that kind of connection okay yeah do we find out why they killed his parents or is it like batman (laughs) i don't think it's specified but if they were bounty killers um we can maybe sort of assume that there is something similar going on in like, just like in the current, you know, in the, well, in the current sure. times of this movie, um, you know, it was a blizzard or it was so bad weather and everything and people were starving. They kind of had to, you know, steal things just to survive. Um, maybe it was a similar situation where they were kind of forced to do something against the law as a means of survival or maybe not. Or maybe they were just like framed by, you know, corrupt sure. officials. Yeah. I like that one better. Let's go yeah. with that. Okay. <laughs> but no, it's it's not really um, specified. We just get that okay. little flashback and we see that his parents were killed and what happened to him and that's about it. We don't I, don't, I don't think we know all the details. Although I only watched this once too, so I may not be totally clued in to all the nuances about it. It's fine. I liked getting people to yell at their phones or their speak <laughs> as their or computers as they listen to this. So <laughs> everyone knows it was this, you idiot. Yeah. So write in and correct us. <laughs> yeah. I call in with your hate mail. 
<laughs> but you, you have to sit to the end of the episode to know who you send it to. So, uh, so okay. What moments stood out to you before we just really yeah. dig into talking about the ending for two hours? <laughs> well, you were talking, you know, since you're talking about Pauline and mm-hmm. uh, how, you know, her and silence, how they kind of hooked up. Um, yeah. Kind of hooked up. Well, how they kind of, the relationship started in general, not not okay. the hookup hookup, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. But, you know, so Silence, I think he asked for $1,000. He, um, you know, every now and then he'll write something down if he needs to get mm-hmm. like a point across or whatever. Um, she's like, okay, I don't have it, but I'll get it. And so she goes off to see the banker dude mm-hmm. and she offers to sell him his, uh, her house or, you know, the house her and her husband lived in. Mm-hmm. She states that it's worth $5,000, but she's willing to sell it to him for $1,000, you know. Mm-hmm. She just wants to get that that, that cash to pay uh, silence off. Um, but the banker doesn't want to do it. I think he kind of senses that something's amiss, you know, what, what her, her motives may be, because this banker dude is totally mixed in with the bounty killers. They're all corrupt and make, making sure. money together. Um, so he, you know, he's not going to buy the house or whatever, but then he tries to like basically seduce her or he wants her to be his mistress. And he kind of indicates that like, he'll give her whatever money that she wants if, you know, he can have his way with her, but mm-hmm. she doesn't allow this, you know, she pushes him away and she said, says, no, like, I'm not going to take your money for that. And she leaves, you know, mm-hmm. and she goes back to silence and she tells him like, I wasn't able to get your money yet, but I, you know, I really want you to, to take out this loco guy and she's in, I do want to be able to compensate you. And she's like, so I'm, you know, willing to compensate you whenever you want now, you know, or after or whatever. And it's pretty obvious what she's indicating, what she's offering. Um, and then a little later in the film, there's, you know, again, we're kind of jumping around, but um, silence does get injured and he's basically staying at her place, you know, in the meantime, while they try to figure out um, him taking out Loco and all that. And so she's dressing his wounds and stuff. And they've been spending more time together. They start to have this kind of intimate moment. And then basically Pauline actually seduces um, silence or yeah. know, seduces. It wasn't like yeah, some yeah. big vampy thing. It was, you know, it was sweet and everything. But she's the one that basically makes the first move. Yeah, she's the one yeah. being forward. Um, mm-hmm. He by no means was trying to you know get anything like that out of her until she kind of offers it to him Mm -hmm. um but then they do you know they have a moment they share a kiss um they have a love scene which is also kind of something we haven't really gotten too much of in these westerns these spaghetti Mm -hmm. westerns as well but yeah i just thought that whole thing was kind of interesting like the pauline's character how she's willing to assert herself you know and say no when she doesn't want something to happen but to be forward Mm -hmm. in other instances when she does want something to happen um whether it's a service or just wanting the man himself you know this Mm -hmm. distraught widow longing for that connection or whatever but yeah she was she was strong willed and you know she had a confidence about her and i liked that And and i did like seeing um that intimate moment that intimate scene i think it was kind of just a nice touch to the film that added some depth to that relationship and those characters. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. Saw a little bit of Lady Butt, but it was taste. <laughs> it, it was tasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that if this movie is to be recast now, I could see Rosario Dawson playing her part, mm. and I and uh, Silence when he had his hat on, only when he had his hat on, kind of made me think of Sebastian Stan a little bit. So, yeah, there's my fan casting. Not that they need to remake any movies. <laughs> we, we have enough of that. But uh, I guess with the, the whoever bought the rights in the U.S. to distribute this movie, they actually did talk about remaking it. 
Interesting. Um, I think they wanted to remake it and I make like a more cheerful version or something okay. like that. But it wound up not happening. And what mm-hmm. by, they wound up doing by kind of just sitting on the rights was almost like suppressing the film in the U.S. It's like they bought the rights mm. with the intention to remake it. Never did, but never really released it or promoted it either. So it was kind of just a bit lost in the U.S. for a while until more recently when um, like the DVD came out and later the Blu-ray. What was I going to say? Oh, one thing I did notice when I started the movie in, I guess, Italian with mm-hmm. subtitles mm-hmm. Uh, was that they did say bounty killers. And then when I switched to the English dub, they did say bounty hunters. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess it is a translation thing because mm-hmm. I know I know for other movies we're questioning that. Now, right. when you, you watched it, it was in English, right? Yes. Okay. Did they say bounty hunters or bounty killers? Or did they switch back and forth? might have been both i think it might have been that way too for mine but that initial scene which you know mm-hmm. i quickly realized uh it was definitely different there then i think later in the movie they said killers so whatever they also uh, commented in the film at one point or one of the characters did about how like oh you know it, yes. says, it says they're wanted dead or alive but you always seem to kill them blah blah so it's kind of yeah. like they're bounty hunters or because they can be dead or alive but it seems like majority of the time they're they're really just killing everybody so maybe that kind of plays into the name as well i was gonna call that out yeah but yeah the uh sheriff says to loco brings it up and he answers as you just said and then says something about, oh, these are dangerous men, you know? We, yeah. So basically saying, oh, it's easier to kill them, which is total bullshit because yeah. <laughs> he's just likes to slaughter people and they're doing fake yeah. bounties on everyone anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, there is a scene which was some foreshadowing. We might as well like get to it. But uh, where they're going around to very snowy bits and, and there's like nothing there. And... Uh, they're pulling all these dead bodies out of the snow. Loco is. Um, and they're just like basically kind of frozen bodies at this point of these people that he's killed. And mm-hmm. just he wants to collect the bounty on. Uh, you're just meeting the sheriff because he's going to town for the first time to be the new sheriff. Right. Um, and he kind of comes across. I don't know. You're sort of indifferent at that point. But yeah, you're still a... trying to kind of sort out who's who and why. Like, as at first, sure. it was like, are the outlaws bad? Like, why are the outlaws? You know, yeah. you don't you don't fully and, know what's going on yet. And we watched so many movies too, where the bounty killers, bounty hunters, are good guys. Yeah, you know, complex characters at the very least. You know? I think that I think that's a better way to put it. They're more morally gray. You know. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's they not... do have redeeming qualities sometimes. Sure. Yeah. And it's typically not till you get to the end of the movie that you're able to kind of pass judgment on them of mm-hmm. oh they were actually the hero or you know somewhere in between mm-hmm. but in this movie they're bad yeah. <laughs> like uh, I'm, they're just like ruthless sociopaths they, yeah they really are they're they're people who clearly like to kill that that's it they're basically bandits who are masquerading as bounty hunters and they're doing it under the facade of like working with the law, you know, mm-hmm. because it was allowed, you know, the whole. Yeah. And, and they talk about how there's like going to be a new governor and there might be a um, what's the word? <laughs> but basically making a thing where it's like you can't have the bounty killers anymore. Yeah. Amnesty. Is that the oh, right okay. word? 
Yeah, okay, to end abuses of human rights. So I think oh, okay. essentially saying that, you know, bounty hunting was probably cruel and unusual and wanting to, like, declare this amnesty, saying you couldn't do that anymore, basically. So um, but they were talking about that was going to possibly be a thing with the new governor, but they didn't, because well, they, they wanted to keep having it, like, be legal, you know, and working on okay. the premise of, like, oh, we're law-abiding, we're, ser- you know, we're providing a service, even though they're really just killing these innocent people. Yeah, yeah, a- amnesty... Yeah, I, this is we're gonna teach her a word every week now. So, amnesty. <laughs> word of the week. <laughs> that's right. This week is amnesty. It's an official pardon for people who've been convicted of political offenses. So that would make sense. Meaning the uh, people that have a bounty in their head could be right. Right. Could receive amnesty. Exactly. And, exactly. Yep. Cancel out the bounty. So learning uh, is fun with Freddie. It, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good callback. <laughs> uh, so the thing about silence, too, because everyone has to have their shtick, is that he will only pull his gun on someone if they pull their gun on him first. Right, because then he's shooting in self-defense. Yep. And we see a scene where he blasts someone's thumb off. Yeah. And and so But he's also he's different from like Loco and his crew where they're kind of like, oh, we're law abiding, but they're really just kind of wanting to murder people and profit off it. Whereas he actually is working from a place or coming from a place of like wanting to do good. Like he is willing to shoot someone, especially if they're drawing on him first. But, you know, and he does things like he'll shoot off like their trigger or their thumb so they can't like, you know, work properly and stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of BS. (laughs) <laughs> but whatever like there's some as we've seen in Django there's ways around that right <laughs> right but, but yeah. it's more about wanting to really like provide some sort of justice or, or mm-hmm. protect this other you know group of outlaws who are being wrongfully accused or whatever um so he he does have this morality even though he's doing you could argue he's doing kind of questionable things or doing similar things to the bounty hunters but like his moral compass guiding him is is very different than the, yeah. than loco and his crew and also i think it's just indicative too there's a couple scenes him shooting someone's thumb off from i think he's on a horse and the guy's on the ground that's an it's a very difficult shot to hit something like someone's thumb right you know and so we see that scene, and we also see a scene later where he is shooting, throwing things up in the air and shooting them. And then the sheriff comes out and basically shoot, throws something in the air and like shoots it a few times to kind of potatoes, show I think. <laughs> yeah, potatoes. Yeah, that's right. And uh, to be like, oh, you know, I'm that much better. And then Silence pulls his gun that he has, which is a very unique looking gun. Um, and the sheriff is cra- crapping all over the gun, saying, with that mechanical thing, you ca- can't do anything or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, Silence gives him, like, three potatoes or so to throw in the air, and he, like, what? He he kind of has, like, a shot, and all three of them come down together or something like that. It, I don't think he shoots all three. Yeah, maybe there's a couple shots. Regardless, the, the point <laughs> is the sheriff's impressed and, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's really just like, oh, the gun he has is good and he's good and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's, it's like he does have skill in terms of aim. Yeah. But I guess the gun is also some sort of like semi-automatic, like old-timey semi-automatic. So it's like his quickness of the draw is somewhat um, contributed to by his actual weapon, not necessarily just his skill. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's a trope that we see often where it's about, oh, I'm a great shot. Oh, I'm a great shot, too. 
this person has more range, this person's faster, this person's more cutting. It's basically just has to come down to how is this, you know, setting up what the final challenge will be and who's going to win type of situation. Um, So let's jump ahead to the ending and just hash it out here. So do you want to take this on? It's it's still too fresh for me. I guess right before we get to the ending, ending, I just I want to mention one scene um, because we've been talked about the sheriff a little bit, not a ton, but um, I can talk about why he's stupid more. (laughs) Um, But at one point, uh, he does arrest Loco. It was the whole thing with you know Silence was trying to engage him to like draw first, but he had kind of heard about you know Silence coming for him, so Loco had the foresight to like remove his gun belt and basically be like, "I'm not going to draw on you first, Blah blah blah. And they get into kind of a fist fight instead. Mm-hmm. And he, he punches Loco and he goes flying through the wall. Yeah. yeah. Or, or through the saloon doors outside. Yeah. I mean, they punch each other. But Loco does something um, that was worthy of getting him arrested. I forget what it was exactly now. But he crossed... well, I can help. I can help. Yeah, please. please a little. Do. So, and if, if I'm thinking of the wrong scene, feel free to correct me. But so... Um, yeah, he goes after Loco and he punches him and Loco goes flying outside and uh, Silence turns and basically blasts a lot of Loco's crew, just hammers his gun and takes a lot of them out. And then uh, while his back is turned, Loco goes to pull his gun. He's outside now and he's That's got his right. gun and he goes to pull his gun and the sheriff steps on his gun and is like, hold it um which That's what it was so he does wit, he's got his back yeah but part of the reason i think the sheriff is stupid is because had he not stopped loco that would have been enough reason for silence to take loco out which i think was well within his means but he had his think... back to him though right so he i yeah but i still feel like he could have got i don't know i mean sure he could have been shot in the back but Based on what we just saw, based on silence, silence is in death. You just can't, you just can't speak. Right, right. I think he would, or just have the sheriff kick the gun away or something. But sure. I mean, the, I guess the sheriff is trying to bring law and order. But he's he's bumbling. He is because silence just blew away an entire room full of men. <laughs> you know, yeah. So then, to then have the sheriff be like, "Oh, hold it, don't, right? Don't don't shoot someone." It's like the laws, the lines are so blurred. Yeah. Uh, but no, you're right. He does finally draw his gun, and that was, you know, enough for the sheriff to arrest him. And he wants to take him to this other jail, I think, in a neighboring state or something. Before you get there, I am going to add in just so we're chronological here. Yeah. The sheriff has Loco locked up, and he goes to punch him behind bars and punches the damn bars of the jail cell. <laughs> which, see, you laugh. So I mean, it's clearly meant to be funny. He's bumbling. He is bumbling, but I was just like, oh, I hate this guy so much. <laughs> I thought he was kind of cute and endearing. Well, you know, on a second watch, I, I might think it's fine. And then I, I end up feeling bad for him. But uh, it, yeah, and a woman comes in and is flirting with him and they're both oh, yeah. flirting. And then Loco, <laughs> yep, and then and Loco basically just like, you know, jumps in and makes the sheriff look like a fool in front of her. And, yeah totally so, cock blocks him 
That's, I was going to use that exact phrase, but <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'm done talking You're about right. this. He, draft. Had, he kept him in the jail for a little bit, but then he does want to cart him off to this other jail um, that's away from where they are. So yep. he loads him up on a horse or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's all roped up or chained handcuffed up whatever it is and they're mm-hmm. going on this trek in the snow um and then at one point loco says like basically that he has to pee can we take a break and so i can go pee and the sheriff's like all right and he lets him down off his horse and kind of you know gives him a little space isn't like mm-hmm. staring at him or whatever but apparently it was a trap um and the reason loco wanted to like stop here you know to to relieve himself is because he had a weapon stowed away in the snow and then this part, I was a little like, hmm, because if you remember earlier in the film, they mm-hmm. talk about how someone pulls out a gun at one point, but it might have been the sheriff, I don't remember, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's so snowy and cold, it's like it wouldn't shoot, and um, Loco or, you know, the bad guys are like, yeah, like, we've learned you have to keep your gun warm, blah, blah, so it'll work when you need it, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense, and they keep it kind of wrapped up in fur or whatever. Sure. But then I'm like, okay, so Loco's getting transported, and he tries to, you know... He says he has to pee, and then he really finds this, like, gun that he presumably hid previously in the snow. Mm-hmm. And then he basically uses it to take out the sheriff. Or, like, he, you mm-hmm. know, he shoots, apparently, like, the frozen water he's standing on or something leaves him for dead. Yeah. But it's like, he takes him out, basically. Which I remember yeah. being surprised. I was like, oh, shit, the sheriff. Yeah, and I will <laughs> I will say, and this is spoiler alert, but you don't see the sheriff again. I expected the right. sheriff to show up, but I, he presumably falls in the ice he does in, show up in again. a lake he does in oh. w- one of the alternate of, endings. of course which of really course. i like i watched it i was like wait how the heck like that didn't even make sense to me i'm like the sheriff is dead how could he okay and i guess he was left for dead but like yeah it was these alternate left. endings like i will have to tell you about them once we oh, get to the ending i i really am excited to hear about them <laughs> um so but the thing that i was questioning though is like this whole gun in the snow after they even addressed it earlier about how you have to keep your gun warm or not let it get too cold or frozen or it won't work but he has mm. this gun hidden in the snow and he had a couple like rags around it but it was like in the snow and i'm like how is this gun working for him to shoot the sheriff and get away that just seemed a little inconsistent especially with having addressed the whole gun in the in the snow thing earlier or gun you in just, the cold you just answered it he had a couple rags on it so <laughs> i guess that kept it warm enough i guess so uh yeah i don't know it's fun. at that point i was just both kind of happy to see the sheriff go but also sad yeah. <laughs> well he was just the thing about the sheriff is he's not a bad guy he's a- attempting to do his job we haven't yeah. seen a single sheriff ever be capable in any single uh of these any of these oh Western. right yeah no yeah. um and so he his heart was in the right place but he was just a dummy yeah kind of so, naive totally experienced yeah but maybe a little too optimistic yeah it's funny that you mentioned that they basically had that foreshadowing of the temperature of the gun when i was saying like you know they had the foreshadowing of him like pulling these bodies out of the snow which you couldn't see anything and so him going and pulling the gun out i felt like oh this this is kind of expected in that loco knows this land and has things hidden all over. Yeah, I mean, all that was fine and made sense to me. Just the fact that, like, it's literally hidden in the snow, and it's been sitting there, presumably, for, you know, an emergency, and, like, but now all of a sudden it's, like, good to go, like, immediately. I wonder (laughs) if... Maybe he peed on it. Maybe that got it warmed up or something. I don't know. 
I'm thinking that due to the fact that they took a certain path that he could have had his guys stash it knowing that they're going to be going on that path. Okay. You know, something like that, which might explain both why it happened to be there, unless there's only one path, which is likely to. It just struck Um, me as a little odd, but you know, I'm willing to. Everything out. (laughs) Shooting someone's thumb off. That's, that's believable. You know, (laughs) a sheriff being so stupid that he punches the bars. That's, that's believable. (laughs) But a woman being attracted to the sheriff, that's believable. But, you know, a cold gun, no. Nope. So so you turn the movie off. Right, right. Yep. So that's why you need me and to I, tell I you that. I ranted and raved before yep. going back to resume it. <laughs> yeah. You did a Yosemite Sam and got so mad you shot your guns at the ground and lifted up in the air. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting to see that happen in these movies, but <laughs> I guess I'll have to keep waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. So you want to talk about the end? We can get. I just. I kind of want to just to address that the sheriff did does get no, that, taken out and. Well, especially with the alt ending. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. That's. I'm. I'm curious. So basically, just we know that a trap is set up. They they tell Loco to, and help me out here because I actually didn't plan on doing this setup, but it's necessary. Uh, Loco has a town full of people, in a bar. And he basically says, he basically says he's going to kill them. It's the like outlaws. Hosp- yeah, it's the quote unquote outlaws. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing yeah. too. Right before the sheriff went to go take Loco away to the other jail, he yeah. basically told like the townspeople that were there. He was like, "Oh, put out some like food and provisions for the outlaws. I'm going to send them. You know, going to send mm-hmm. them to town. Tell them they're not going to be shot at. That they can go get some food and and just kind of take care of themselves a little bit." Yeah. Um, so that's why they were going to the town. But then, of course, Loco and his guys um, apprehend them, basically. And they're all in, in the saloon, like you said. Yeah, and, and they're just, like, tied up. They're yeah. pretty much helpless. And this is what and, Loco uses as leverage to try yep. to entice silence to come face him. And it's very much like a, I don't know, a Bond villain or any action movie type of situation where he's like, come and face me, McLean. Yeah. Or I'll kill all these innocent people. Right. Uh, oh, but if you come, I'll let them go. If you yeah. Come face me. It's, yeah, exactly. it's exactly that. And so silence does. And with his brilliant against, plan. Against Pauline's, you know. Because yeah. she, she she's like, it's a trap. Like, you're outnumbered. There's no yeah. way you can beat them. And she, she's right. And seemingly, it seems kind of a little hopeless. Yeah. Like, yeah, Pauline really is the voice of reason. Uh, well, no pun intended. Um, so silence shows up, or pun intended. There you go. I'll, I'll make myself more clever than I am. Uh, so silence shows up, and his brilliant plan is to walk into town and just get shot to death. Basically, <laughs> basically, it, it happened so quick. I had to rewind it and just be like, "What the hell did I miss?" Yeah, he's got the one hand injured already. Yes, and it's like bandaged up, but his left was he a lefty? Because I feel like I can't remember now. I'm trying to visualize him shooting. I think, I think was... he was still able to shoot, even though it was like his right yeah. hand was injured. So I, he might have been a lefty. Okay, I'm not sure. But anyway, regardless, he was outnumbered. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he gets yep. shot in the other hand. <laughs> yep, yep. He gets shot up, and then he just gets 
uh, finished off by uh, Loco. Yeah, by Loco. And who shoots him it, in the head? Yeah, it's a very bleak. Like, yeah. there's no. It's it feels like the alt universe version of Django, where Django Django you know is beaten beyond all odds and still manages to succeed. Yeah. This feels like the realistic version of what would happen in this situation. Right. But it, it is kind of shocking. And I mean, I even knew, like, I said, going into it, like, yeah. the, you know, the end, what was going to happen or, the, you know, the big spoiler that, the, you know, the yeah. hero doesn't win at all in this one. No, but it, it, it's still very jarring, especially because, like you said, it kind of just like happens so fast. Like, you know, he's, he's got the injured hand, then his other hand gets shot and he's kind of like in falls to his knees in the snow, with these bloody hands. And then you see, you know, Loco Klaus Kinski just like aim the gun at his head and take him out. And, you know, he shoots and then you, you see like some blood starting to kind of pour out of his forehead and it, it's just over. And you're just like, oh shit, kind of open mouth, like that this is how it ends. I can't think of a single other movie like that does that to the hero. And then Pauline, who's there, you know, she sees her her sweetie get shot, shot and killed. And so she goes for his gun and kind of just kind of flails awkward attempt to try to, you know, shoot oh, a loco. But he takes yeah. her right out as well uh, and then basically yeah. turns around and they take out all the outlaws as well. So basically it's like only the bad guys are left and all all the good people or, or just the local people. They all just get killed, massacred. Yeah. It, fe- it felt like in a video game where you make the wrong choice and you see the worst outcome. <laughs> the and worst then you- possible scenario. Yeah. And then you hit, okay, replay. And you're like, oh, I'm glad that yeah. didn't happen. But no, that's what happens. And Absolutely. yeah, when they when they, they just slaughter everyone in that saloon or wherever they were. Yeah. All, bleak all the outlaws. is the right word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly bleak. And then that's the end of the movie. That's it. Yeah. There, there's no ray of hope. There's no... No one left alive. There's no, in the sense of like, oh, but this person could ex, you know, potentially do this. No, bad guys won. But I mean, yeah, there's not very jarring. <laughs> it is. It is, and there's not. I mean, if you're to look at it from, if they had made Klaus Kinski's character the hero somehow. Like if they skewed it, you know, I'm, I'm talking, we, the movie is done exactly how it's supposed to be done, but we've seen so, so many movies where the bounty killers are the heroes that, you know, you could look at it a different way and say he is doing his job and that silence trying to kill him. He had no, there was no reason Laskinski's character shouldn't defend himself sure. and prepare for this and take out the outlaws, you know? Yeah. So there I guess was... it's oh, go ahead. matter. No, I was just finishing up that thought. It's just yeah. a matter of point, point of view. Right. You yeah. Know? You know, um, I was just going to mention that there is like that card that plays at the end, like at the very, very end. Did you get the card? You did, right? Tell, t- tell me about it because it's not ringing a bell. Okay. So the end goes down just as we, Oh, you know what? I did, and it was in Italian. You know what? Mine was as well. And I mean, I was watching, obviously, the English dub, and then so this card came up in Italian, and I I was like, what the heck? So I actually turned the English subs on to see, and yeah, it did translate it. Oh, okay. Yeah, but basically it explains that Loco's actions um, 
resulted in like a widespread public condemnation of bounty killing. Um, mm. and, and apparently a memorial was erected in Snow Hill to honor those who died by his greed. Mm. Uh, let me see. Da, 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 da. The Great Silence closing title card, The Massacres of ni- 1898, Year of the Great Blizzard, finally brought forth fierce public condemnation of the bounty killers who, under the guise of false legality, made violent murder a profitable way of life. For many years, it was a clapboard sign at Snow Hill which carried the legend, Men's boots can kick up the dust of this place for a thousand years, but nothing man can ever do will wipe out the bloodstains of the poor folk who fell here. So it it is all very bleak, absolutely, but at least there's kind of like this little shred of like, well, all this happened, and then they basically made this bounty killing illegal, and they erected this memorial to like honor the people who who died here. So so it's like this little shred of something good came out of it. Okay, so wait a minute. Now we're starting to cross the line between fact and fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, the setting, there really was a blizzard and like, so the setting mm-hmm. is in the snow or whatever, but um, I think that, I don't think there, I don't know that there really was a snow hill in the statue. I think that's all just fiction, but like sure. in, in the sake of the story or the world of the story, they're saying like, oh, this did, you know, and they, they probably really did historically. Like there probably was some sort of, um, you know, they probably did put an end to the bounty hunting at some point for like all the reasons we discussed um, so there probably is some truth in it, but the snow hill and all that, I think, is fictitious. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if there was any, like, what ended the bounty hunting. But I mean, then again, what's the same? Dog the bounty hunter existed. Clearly not the same methods. But right. so I don't know. In some ways, maybe it's not outlawed completely. <laughs> I don't know. I. And now looking at Wikipedia and I'm just falling into. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was reading the the title card from. Wiki had a little footnote about it. There is a movie that's referenced another Western, which I'm not going to say the name because it's a potential spoiler. But um, there might be another Western where the lead character dies, too. It's just one I wasn't aware of. But hey, I I definitely never claimed to be. This is my intro to the genre, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Cut me some slack here. So anyway, tell me about these alt endings. Okay. So there is two endings, alternative endings. One mm. is referred to as the happy ending, and one is referred to as the ambiguous ending. And it's just they're both just like a few minutes long. Um, but basically, in the happy ending, um, the opposite of everything. You know, silence lives. Pauline lives. It's like basically. Um, the kind of fairy tale happy ending where it's like, yeah, the, the hero is the quickest. He, you know, he draws the quickest and he takes out Loco and the bad guys. Love conquers all ending. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then um, the sheriff actually turns up again in the happy ending. He was apparently just left for dead, but didn't actually mm. die. So he comes back and, um, you know, helps take out the bad guys and um you know they free the outlaws and then basically the sheriff invites silence to to be his deputy now at snow hill and silence smiles in acceptance so it's like just the complete opposite happy ending that you can imagine Um, so funny yeah i mean when i was watching i was like what the sheriff like how can they even attempt to explain the sheriff coming back but i guess he was left for dead um and then there's another one the ambiguous ending Mm-hmm. 
that was similar to the ending that we see. Um, you still see Silence with his injured hand, and then his other hand gets shot, so he's still like bloody in the snow. Mm-hmm. But he uh, he like collapses in the ground, and Pauline's in shock. Um, and then apparently Loco kind of has a change of heart, and he kind of just like waves his men to like leave the saloon. So they like they injure Silence, and that you know they leave him there injured and bleeding in the snow. But they all the bad guys basically take off and they just leave the outlaws and silence and Pauline to whatever, figure it out. Um, but so it's more ambiguous. because You don't totally know, like, what happens to everyone. Um, so does the banker ever get his? He just. Oh, wait, no, I remember now. At hmm. one point when, you know, silence is staying with Pauline and I, this is, I think, before when maybe Loco is still trying to figure out like where he is or trying to get to him before he gets to him type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the banker dude, he goes over there and he like attempts to like force himself on Pauline, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, and then si- Silence shoots him. So Silence does take him okay. out when he was like attempting to rape Pauline, basically. Uh, I yeah. think that might have been how his hand got injured. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay, yeah. yeah. For some reason, I just yeah. I mean, you know, you watch it once. It's some of the details yeah. are a little fuzzy. But... And the ending was so shocking that everything that came before was just kind of a blur <laughs> to a degree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, did they film those other endings? Well, yeah. I mean, I watched them on, oh, okay. on the Blu-ray. They were extras. Okay. Like again, just... one one was like two or three minutes, and one was like five minutes. So it was like sure. You know, Okay, I wasn't sure if they shot them or you just read about them. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, they did. I watched them first, and then I, you know, was reading about it a little more yeah. in depth after. But and there's a couple of different, I guess, stories or reasons about like why. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the whole film like was of very bleak nature. The whole tone of it was, you know, so really kind of having the happy ending really almost doesn't fit right with the whole like. Um, rest of the film as a whole but i guess the film was supposed to be released around christmas time um Mm. in italy and they were a little concerned they wanted to have more of a like seasonal quote-unquote appeal um so that's why yeah they kind of commissioned him to shoot this like alternative happy ending i guess that's like one version of the story um or then the other version is like that the happy ending was shot specifically for the north african and asian um audiences although according to wiki there's no evidence to suggest that this ending was ever seen in either region so whatever the reasons were they did have the intention that we might want to use this happy ending but it sounds like it was never actually screened anywhere other than like later it's on like dvd extras and stuff but it was always like it despite having these two alternative endings for whatever reasons they did end up showing or cutting the film with this bleak ending it's Hmm. like that's always how it's been shown it sounds like it makes me think of, although these have been shown in theaters and everything else, but two other movies that come to mind, and I actually made a reference to one, is Brazil is pretty famous for having multiple endings and multiple cuts. And then Blade Runner is the other movie that famously has a very optimistic ending and an ambiguous ending. And the director's cut is the one that it really is kind of the preferred one but but yeah there's a lot of cuts for both of those films historically yeah um, and they actually call one of the endings love conquers all for brazil <laughs> so but yeah nice. it's it, they they all kind of change the tone entirely um but yeah with this one 
I can't believe this is the ending that ended up in theaters. I mean, I I wonder how the film would have if people would have been talking about the film so many years later if it had one of those alt endings. Right. And then there was just, you know, rumor of the ending that it actually right came with or we didn't see till that many years later on disc. Yeah. But and I mean, as shocking or as jarring as this ending is, you know, and mm-hmm. just the bleakness of it, it's also like, because, you know, I watched it and then I immediately was watching the extras and I was like, all right, let's check out these alternate endings. And then yeah. you watch, like, especially the happy ending, it, it, it seems almost like so ridiculous, like so completely mm-hmm. unrealistic mm-hmm. and like especially after watching this film for what it is and then seeing this it's like like is this a joke yeah <laughs> this is really seriously considered as a possible you know ending it's just kind of it's like nutty. a wizard of wizard of oz type ending i guess where everything works out everyone gets exactly what they wanted hmm, right. so i mean not verbatim but yeah um maybe somewhere in between could have worked but yeah yeah but I think it's I think it's pretty cool how it is like. Yeah, I, just, I guess. It, yeah, I don't know why I don't know why we're even making up fictional endings by we I mean me <laughs> me. But I guess a good in between could have been silence is killed, but Pauline shoots. maybe is the heroine. Yeah, yeah, that would have been kind of cool, especially with all her former badassery in the movie. Yeah, and she shoots Loco. At least take out Loco, and you know, yeah. I I. I you know, but then there's... that makes a different kind of statement, I guess. Yeah, I did. I do have a few kind of asides, a couple of things I wanted to read, share with you from. Yeah, yeah. You know, or not my notes, but my research notes, I should say. This wasn't sure. like derived from the film specifically. I'll allow it. <laughs> so, OK, this bit, I think I copied this off Wiki, but it's because it was kind of echoing something that was spoken about um, in the extras, sure. um, which you and I were talking about briefly before we started recording for the show. But mm-hmm. uh I was just telling you how on the Blu-ray that I watched, it had a couple extras that featured Alex Cox, who is another filmmaker um, and writer. He did uh, Repo Man, for example, and... Um, Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy, thank you. And mm-hmm. that other movie that was described as a punk rock western, but I can't think of the name. It has, like, Courtney Love in it or something. Uh, that was Straight to Hell. Thank you. Um, and he's actually, Alex Cox has also written um, some sort of book on spaghetti westerns, which I want to track hmm. down. So he's a, a fan of the genre. And so I guess he was invited to do, he doesn't do a commentary, like a full feature commentary on this, but he did do a little brief commentary on um, the happy ending, deleted, okay. the, the alternative ending, I should say. It's not a deleted scene, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did this um, little like 15 minute featurette called, I think, Cox on Corbucci, where he was just kind of talking about, you know, Sergio Corbucci, the director, and that sort of thing. And he talked about how he didn't even like making westerns, or he was like getting sick of them. Um, Corbucci? But then he, mm-hmm. But then he always okay. found himself kind of drawn into making another one. And so let me see, I'm going to read this bit to you. Sure. So, it, okay, this is from an interview with uh, someone called Noel Simsolo for Image et Son, which is some sort of magazine in, in Italian, I guess. Okay. Um, so he said, Every time I make a Western, I say, this is the last. I get tired and nervous. I hate the horses and the desert. I go Mm -hmm. back to town wanting to make a film about a man who drives a car, uses a phone, and watches TV. 
But, <laughs> but once I'm there, I start thinking about how nothing is finer in the cinema than a man on a horse with the setting sun and a red sky. That makes me want to carry on. And then I think up another Western with my actors. So I just That's so funny. Yeah, kind of cool, kind of interesting. That's um, so funny. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that he was like getting sick of them and kind of always said this will be my last, but then he obviously kept finding inspiration to make more and like they're so diverse and great and entertaining yeah. i mean thank goodness he kept making more yeah um, and maybe thank goodness too that he was sick of it because it caused him to creatively stretch himself kind of break to, the mold yeah yeah exactly. yeah 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 not make the same film over and over which he definitely right. doesn't and then another thing that I thought was interesting is how some, because you were, you were talking about like the historical context and, uh, mm -hmm. well, this is more about the current <clears throat> current times in terms of the late 60s when he was actually filming this and, and just sure. making his movies in general. So there's a German magazine called Film and mm -hmm. Corbucci revealed that he had dedicated The Great Silence to the memories of Che Guevara. Martin mm -hmm. Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy, as he believed that their assassinations, all three of them happening while he was making this film, Whoa. served to further their cause and resulted in widespread condemnations of violence. And then um, Alex Cox elaborates that Corbucci's widow, Nori, uh, told one of the producers that her husband had the deaths of uh, Guevara and oh, I'm saying the name wrong. Che Guevara and Malcolm mm -hmm. X in mind when he conceived the great silence for mm. the radical, for the revolutionary, both deaths were terrible news. You could only take on the powerful and the wicked for a short while. It seemed before they crushed you. Mm. And, you know, so when you kind of think about that in terms of what was going on and how it affected his filmmaking and the film that he ended up making, which yeah, was so bleak and basically showed how the people in power, the corrupt people in power, kind of you know in the end they're the ones who won you know and crushed the people yeah. who were trying to do good yeah it's it's, 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 it's he's, he's making a statement you know yeah it's and unfortunately it's timeless yeah absolutely so, i mean really timeless like everything before and everything after and then there's you know? one one more tiny bit uh, Cox believes that the moral message of the film is that sometimes, even though you know you'll fail, you still mm. do the right thing. He also adds that by facing an unbeatable foe and dying in the ensuing duel, Silence becomes the noblest hero of any Western film since Shane, which I haven't seen that, so I, I don't fully uh, get that reference. But um, That's the one I was alluding to earlier. Okay. But yeah, just that notion that, you know, even though you know you'll fail, you know, like with silence, you're going to this duel, you know, against Pauline's wishes, against us as the audience saying, like, how is he going to overpower Loco and this whole gang of men, like just him with his injured hand already. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he, he knows he'll fail, but he still needs to do the right thing. So I thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Oh, I forgot to tell you one detail about one of the ambiguous ending that I mentioned. Sure. Or was it the happy ending? I mean, no, maybe it was the happy ending. Um, but basically, like, he had that injured hand, and it was, like, bandaged up. Mm -hmm. And then he gets, like, shot in the other hand. But then mm -hmm. there's this, like, reveal in the happy ending or whatever where he takes the bandages off. And he has this kind of, like, armor of sorts or, like, some sort of hand plate, like, protecting his hand. I'm, and, like, face palming right now. Yeah. And it's almost, it's, it says be kind of reminiscent of the whole, like, man with no yeah. name having, you know, the sheet Definitely. metal on his chest. 
but it also just kind of doesn't really make a lot of sense like he has this hand thing like what and then it was on the injured hand because it was hidden by the band so like none of it makes sense no but uh yeah it's just interesting well well i mean they could have set that up and had a scene where pauline likes gave him a a cross or something and wrapped it you know with his wounds for good luck or some sort of whatever but something like that yeah but pretty random you can tell that that wasn't the intended ending so yeah they didn't care to make it make sense very like just thrown together to Mm -hmm. create this happy ending but also now that i based on the historical context it, it makes a lot more sense with the movie and also what would drive him to have that point of the end of this film you know to mm-hmm. kind of be like you wanted to make a statement versus just a full-on genre piece yeah. and also or if it's was... an outlet of whatever he was feeling at yeah, this, yeah. this time with these assassinations of you know yeah. people that he you know we can maybe presume that he looked up to or found inspirational sure yeah who were who, who it, he saw is trying to do the right thing you know yeah exactly and, and sacrifice themselves trying to help oppress people and trying to do the right thing exactly yeah huh so yeah there's a lot to it yeah now i'm like thinking about it a little deeper too wondering if the choice to silence the main character if there's anything more to that on a deeper level there is something more to it oh yeah apparently Corbucci at one point was speaking with an actor, not not the Jean-Luc guy who was who was in this playing silence, mm-hmm. but someone else um, who was like, I don't know, German or Italian or something. And he was like, oh, I don't speak English. Like, how can I ever be in one of your films? And I guess also at the time they were wanting to like draw in like um, English speaking actors as much as possible or American actors because it was it was good for marketing that they had these mm-hmm. like American yeah. English speakers or whatever. So this this person was like, oh, like, how can I ever be in one of your films? Like, you know, I can't speak english and corbucci was like oh if it ever comes up like i'll just make my your the character mute or like whatever and that's when it was first kind of like that idea was kind of broached but um so then later when he was casting for this and he wanted to have um this jean-luc guy playing silent actually he he wanted franco nero but franco nero turned the role down um i'm not sure why i think maybe he was gonna be in something else but so he wound up getting this jean-luc guy instead and then he learned that he was french but also that he didn't speak a word of english and that so corbucci was like don't worry it's not a problem he's like i'm gonna make your character mute and you won't have to speak at all and it's just gonna add this um different unique character trait to your, sure. your character and that's basically how that came about so that's, it was not that well thought out per se is more of a like solution to a, a problem that's pretty great though it's yeah. creative problem solving huh it's interesting but then yeah. it's such a huge part of this character in, in this movie and you know yeah yeah i mean it ties into his origin completely and is what drives him you know yeah. as a person so huh. this movie didn't pull me in from the get-go and i wasn't just like immediately wowed okay but but as it defied my expectations um and there are scenes i liked and i kept my interest you know by the time i get to the end i will say and it's silly that i didn't put on subtitles but i guess i was just still kind of reeling from the ending that one that mm. te- text came on at the ending you know i didn't flip on subtitles to read it and 
didn't look into more about it. I looked into information about the movie, but didn't check out the thing that was within the movie um, because that starts to change my opinion on the ending a little bit. Uh, I mean, not like I like the film more, like it less. I just mean it's giving you more to chew on. Yeah, exactly. Which I wasn't prepared for. Um, but I think it's, I like that as sort of a realistic, but like, that's a good positive spin on it. And I guess it fits too with sort of the social commentary of one person's action can have, it's less about that individual and more about what change can come from their actions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sacrifice of one for, you know, many. Right, uh, right. But so yeah, that does that does change things. Versus another uh, layer. <laughs> it's it's less bleak, you know. Yeah, there is like this kind of shred of optimism or a like ha- somewhat of a happy outcome. Maybe yeah. not for our characters, but for the overall sure. you know. society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that does that is a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, because we see, see so many people die in these movies in the westerns. Right. Actually, all all the movies that we talk about, we see a lot yeah. of people die. There's a lot so. of carnage. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but regardless, yeah, the movie's unique. I would I would recommend that people see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not the first western I'd recommend to anyone. Sure. Uh, but if someone is like, I hate westerns because of, you know, I know exactly what they are. Then I might recommend it yeah, to them just, just to subvert their expectations. You know, not yeah, not what you expect. Exactly. So, but yeah, I I mean I'd I'd probably in the end give it seven out of ten. Tiny turtles. Tiny turtles. Yeah, it's pretty good. What did you <laughs> What did you think of the movie overall? Um, I liked it. The, you know, despite the bleakness and the sad ending, mm-hmm. I did enjoy watching it. I I feel like it's really visually stunning. Um, just the landscape that they're in, those snowy mountains. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was just beautiful to look at. The tones of the blue and the white. I don't know. I found it all very captivating. Um, it, the, it's almost like the visuals and the scenery sucked me in before even like the story had fully established, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it can be it can be a bad thing when you know a film is maybe all visual and no substance. But I, this one definitely had both. I do feel like it was a fairly simple, straightforward, like, I I didn't have too much trouble following along with what was happening. You know, in the very beginning when things are kind of unknown and you're like, oh, the outlaws, and then you kind of start to realize, like, wait, no, they're really just kind of framed men, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes, like, fistful, and even a few dollars more to some degree, like, on my first watch, I just feel like I was a little more confused on, like... Mm-hmm the characters and what they were doing and why. Um, but then that's why I think on my second viewing, I um, enjoyed them so much more because I kind of had a clue and I was able to kind of just, I guess, appreciate them more than what I was trying to figure out was happening exactly. Yeah. Whereas in, in this case, um, it was, I mean, it wasn't too simple per se, but it was simple enough to where I was like, okay, this is what's happening. Like that's loco. He's bad. He's got the bounty killers. This is silent. Like it was just, you know, very straightforward, which I, I don't know, I guess I appreciated, mm-hmm. you know, not having to, like, think too much to figure out what was going on. I could just kind of watch and enjoy, which 
you know, which yeah. I like, <laughs> which I appreciate. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I did like the characters. Um, I liked Silence. I liked Pauline. I mean, even Loco, like, he was not mm-hmm. a likable character per se, but I think he, um, Klaus Kinski was good in that role. It was, yeah, he did a great job with it. Yeah, and and I did, like I said, I did like the sheriff. I, you know, I thought it was cute and kind of just a cute little bumbling bit of comic relief. You know, he, I, the when he first kind of rolls into town and he gets his horse stolen from him because the starving outlaws want to eat her, and I'm like, I was like, poor Betsy, that made me so I, yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that I, endeared I, me I, to I for, him losing his poor horse. <laughs> like, I, for, I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I found it entertaining you know pleasant to look at um i did know the spoiler going into it so it's hard for me to comment on like just the overall impact although that being said like i I did know it was coming i did still find the end kind of just abrupt and jarring um but yeah i think it was a good film i actually really wanted to try to get a second viewing in before but it just wasn't quite in the cards but i do feel excited to go back and watch it again especially having done the initial view where you're kind of taking it all in and just trying to wrap your head around it and now i want to like i don't know just take it in again but in that different way where you kind of you've seen it before and now you're just really um just immersing yourself in it if that makes sense i I kind of feel like i'm rambling now but i think i think you're getting my point you're describing exactly how I take films and that the first time I'm kind of just judging how I feel about it and taking in the events. And then the second time, once I've got past all that, I can actually like enjoy the film. Really dig into it a little more. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, a lot of my favorite films of all time, it was on the second viewing that I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And the first viewing I felt nothing Mm-hmm. emotional possibly sure so and so much stuff can factor into that i think too like the day you're having your frame of mind if you're distracted or worried about something like it could be the best movie ever yes. that maybe you would love on like yes. a normal day but depending yep. on your your frame of mind you could be just not fully checked in and that, that's not mm-hmm. the movie's fault i mean it's no one's fault but it's going to hinder your experience yeah. but uh but anyway so yeah it, this was definitely an unexpected one yeah and uh do we have more corucci coming up at all we we do have one more uh okay pipeline okay i'm i am interested to see more of what he does because it has been so unexpected and random and you know what's interesting too it's like this movie the great silence it's Mm -hmm. generally heralded as his best film as his masterpiece okay that being said Django seems to be the one he's really most remembered for, the most memorable mm-hmm. one. Like people, oh yeah, I've seen Django, or I know Django, or I had that cult following for a while. Um, and then you have something like Compañeros, which at, at this point is you know one of my favorite films by him, um, yeah, even more so than you know this film, or even more so than Django, which I also enjoy quite a bit. That Alex Cox guy actually, uh, and you know everyone's opinion is different, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. he was kind of going over some of like his westerns at one point when he on that Cox on Corbucci thing, and he mm-hmm. referenced Compañeros as being you know. I think he said it's like it's you know it's a decent film but like not one of his best or you know whatever and I mean you know that's fine I guess technically in comparison it, yeah it's not as grandiose as like the Great Silence but like I freaking mm-hmm. love that movie and I've watched it over it's, and uh, over and it's yeah definitely one of my favorites of his um, so it's just interesting that 
you know, this movie is being heralded as his masterpiece, but like how many people would say it's actually like their favorite of his or their favorite? I mean, some people will maybe just by the fact that it's so different and the snow and just all of it, you know, and that's fine. But I don't know. I just find it interesting that sometimes, you know, the piece of art, you know, from of a artist or in this case, a filmmaker, that's kind of noted as their, their all time masterpiece type of thing. Um, isn't necessarily always either the favorite or even the most memorable. I think, I think it's all the, all the factors that we've talked about, you know, when you see it, who you see it with, where you are in your life. Yeah. What other movies you've seen before, what other movies you've seen by that director, all of these things weigh into what makes it's an experience. It's not just the film. It's like also what you bring to it. That sounds like weird to say, but. No, I, it's true for literally every experience in your life. Yeah. And a movie is compacted into, you know, an hour and a half, two hours or, or three hours nowadays, but well, I guess not nowadays, good, the bad, the ugly. Right. But, um, and so, yeah, you, you, you've got this very, compart, this very, um, compact experience that you're then filtering through all of your experiences to then come out of it with opinions and feelings and you know so yeah no it's with that being said Compañeros is also my favorite of the three uh Corbusier movies I've seen so far too and I wouldn't say it's the most straightforward script I say it's it's a little messy here or there and a a little probably more complicated than it needs to be and sure but it's got great characters and fantastic moments and mm-hmm. great camera work and just a lot to love. It's the yeah. type of movie where you're like, oh, I, I can't wait to see this scene again. Mm-hmm. You know, that type of situation. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I that's definitely one I will go go back to. So right on. Anyway, so what first of all, wh- what do we have for next week? Next week, coming up, we have A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, from 1989, directed by Stephen Hopkins. Okay. So we're we're back to the Freddy. Back to the Freddy. Part 5. Yeah, we're getting to the end. Mm-hmm. Technically, we've got one more after this, and then kind of a reboot. And the same actress does play Alice, Lisa Wilcox. Oh, she does? Yeah, she. I think she's blonder in this one, though. So maybe that's okay. You know, she looks a little bit different. Okay. Um. So, so anyway, what's your favorite Corbucci fan? Or what is? Let's try this line again. <laughs> what is your favorite Corbucci film? Uh, fans. I don't know what we're listeners. calling her. L- listeners. Uh. Yeah, folks. Uh, t- Friends t- of Spaghetti and Freddy. That's right. Uh. Freddy fans and spaghetti connoisseurs. So, if you have a favorite Corbucci film, uh, reach out to us at spafreddypod at gmail.com. That is S P A F R E D D Y P O D at gmail.com. You got it. And uh, yeah, if I insulted all those people out there that like Westerns. Please write me some hate mail. Any, any mail at this point will be good, even hate mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we did it, Yoli. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Thank you.
Spaghetti and Freddy podcast is hosted by Kevin Cablasto and Yoli Zena. Our theme music is composed and performed by Corey McGregor. This episode was edited by Yoli. You can send us feedback at spafreddypod at gmail.com. Ciao for now. It has been so unexpected and random. Interesting choices were made. We'll just leave it at that.